And welcome everyone to this week's episode of Freightonomics. I'm head of freight market intelligence, Zach Strickland, here with returning from the road, Anthony Smith. Yeah, Zach, I saw what you did last week. Kind it, was of, a, it was a strong attempt. Kind of made an improvement. I it don't know. was very impressive. Phoenix is hard to follow <laughs> up, even when it's your own show. I mean, so I, I commend you on that one. Yeah. That, was, that was a good call. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, it's like that commercial where the guy says, All right, Derek, you're up. And it's Derek Jeter <laughs> going, to, going to hit. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe you don't. But yeah, yeah, yeah no, uh, Kaylee Nix did a fantastic job. I, I, sort of, I sort of think we missed the timing of you going to Portland by a week, though, because this week, Hurricane Ian uh, mm-hmm. dominates the headlines. And so that's what the majority of the show, and of course, Kaylee is our resident meteorologist. Uh, and she did give a little insight last week. And of course, on Freightways Now this morning, and uh, also, Donnie Gilbert uh, yeah. has a ton of experience uh, handling disasters. So we're going to dive into the aspects of what hurricanes and subsequently natural disasters mean for supply chains and the overall economic environment on today's show. Um, and we are not live this week. You were watching us on a delay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I will be looking down from time to time, but it's that's just me being rude at this point because I'm not <laughs> going to be checking for comments because we're not live, but I am going to be looking at show notes. But without further ado, Zach, yeah, um, we got some we, stuff to cover. Yeah, so I, I have to mention that because some of the stuff, of course, the, the market changes timely. overnight. Yeah, yeah, the market changes overnight. So I want to make sure everybody knows that. Uh, and we are doing this a day before uh, because of some other reasons, but uh, not Probably because we're getting improvements prepared. around here. Yeah. That good stuff. So anyway, without further ado, though, we've got to mark it in two because I think this will be relatively relevant and I'm going to give you all a heads up of what to watch over the next uh, coming days uh, as hurricanes don't necessarily just come and go. Uh, they absolutely impact the market throughout. So Anthony, if you want to count me in, let's do our market Three, in two. Two, one, zero. All right. First up, we have the NTI, the National Trucking Index. Watching this one for any dramatic spot rate movements. You can see week over week, not a tremendous change, although there is a slight uptick, about a two cent per mile uh, increase over the last seven days. Not a significant one by any means. Doesn't mean the market's going into chaos. But this could actually just be the end of the month uh, showing up in our spot rates. And I have the tender rejection index there in green just to show you that there really is no fundamental changing in the aggregate values of the uh, the market just yet. So let's move to the next chart and look at OTVI to see if there's any demand side indicators that are making us think anything's weird going on. Not really. Again, if you look at the year over year over year over year, uh, <laughs> this little trough that we see in September, relatively consistent over the last several years, uh, 2019 and the two pandemic years, we see a little end of the month bump. Going into the next chart, however, let's get a little bit more focused and specific. This is the Atlanta market. This is one of the markets that's showing up as a significant increase in tender rejection rates. They're in blue. Oh, try Atlanta shooting all the way back up to a robust 4.5%. Uh, not very high, but the direction is what's important here. And of course, you look at that OTVI Atlanta, big jump in volume there. So Atlanta market, the hub of the Southeast, definitely one to watch. A lot of volume going into Florida uh, that might be stalled due to the hurricane. Let's move to the next chart. Look at OTRI, OTVI, Lakeland. Now, this is the main area of impact, main market of impact for a direct hit from Ian. Uh, Lakeland showing a pretty big jump in overall outbound demand this week. 
However, the Tinder rejection rate, some of the lowest in the country at 1.6. So carriers taking every load they can to get out of the way before it happens. Last but not least, Savannah uh, showing an over long running trend of increasing demand. Ian's supposed to hit this area in the coming days. So definitely one to watch. Tinder rejection rates not jumping just yet, however. Amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. That was a good one. Like they're yeah. all pretty good, but that was... I mean, I tried to hit them all uh, in sequence, yeah. uh, if you will. It's a, hurricanes don't all have the same level of impact. You can't really apply logic from one hurricane to another. And that's something we're definitely going to dig into here. And of course, economically speaking, that, uh, truer words couldn't be said, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you, you have your bare basics of like, all right, this is what we expect. This is how we're going to prep. And this is what we're going to do afterwards. But it's always going to be a little bit different. And there's one thing that I think is almost always a constant in all these hurricanes that happen year after year after year. It's going to be the supply chain reaction and preventative or really trying to get ahead of it. And so there's one article that um, our very own John Gallagher wrote um, that we have here that you put in the show notes mm -hmm. around ELDs mm -hmm. and the hours of service being uh, temporarily suspended for Ian. Yeah, and, and that's uh, obviously this is part of an ongoing uh, thing that Gallagher was on Freightways now on Monday yeah. talking about. Uh, and, it, you know, not necessarily this suspension of HOS for this thing, but it kind of adds to his story in my mind in the way that if ELDs are supposed to create an environment of safety, increasing safety, why do we suspend them? <laughs> mm -hmm. Why can we turn them on and off? Because are you saying that safety is something that you can... You're, you're willing to do away with uh, for this period of time, that to me kind of feels weird, you know, and maybe I'm, I'm being a little bit overreactionary to it, but I think there's a lot of support in this article for them really revisiting the ELD mandate and saying, does this actually, you know, make things safer? Dean Croak, uh, you know, worked here years ago and used to talk about this all the time, obviously operating his own fleet, and he's, you know, absolutely thinks that they do not. Yeah. Um, and, and when we're looking at this, I mean, it's one of those things where even outside the supply chain, it's just like when things hit the fan, that usually all these laws start to just kind of go by the wayside. So throughout the pandemic, there were all these laws mm -hmm. that were in place are just like, hey, yeah, you can do uh, carry out for alcohol or yeah. you could drink, um, you know, as a uh, pandemic started to ease up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can extend the, you know, the seating out a little <laughs> bit further. It's like there's all these rules that were kind of made an exception. And then they kind of tighten up a little bit later on. But at the same time, it's just like, why weren't we doing this already? What yeah. was preventing this? Like, this wasn't like a huge disturbance into, you know, where we saw spikes up and, you know, maybe underage drinking or anything like that, public intoxication. But we just saw that businesses were continuing to perform at the capacity they needed to. And with this is like one of those things, it's like, all right, it's okay to do this when there's a time of an emergency. But that's when you need to be the most safe, I would think. Right. <laughs> but even in that critical time frame, like, okay, we're just kidding. This, this is not that, it's not that serious. No, I mean, if it works for the better of the whole in times of norm, in normal times, why wouldn't it be that way now? And then yeah. I think at the crux of this, obviously, is they're trying to free up available capacity. And they know the inefficiencies of the, of the disaster relief environment are, you cannot regulate it. But my, my question to that is, We've had two years of disaster, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, in some ways, disaster relief in a lot of situations. And of course, they suspended the HOS uh, for PPE uh, to an extent. But again, these are, 
if it if it works now, why do you suspend it? It, yeah. it doesn't. I don't. I don't think that we actually have a good grasp of what uh, does make things safe and what doesn't. And I think it's clear in this article. I highly recommend everybody read this, especially anybody involved in trucking. Uh, you drive a truck, you probably already know this. I mean, look at you, Anthony. You get what two, three hours of sleep a night. <laughs> I'm lucky. Yeah, <laughs> and you're and you're somewhat functional. So I mean, barely, but yeah. <laughs> everybody has a different circadian rhythm, rhythm of life. Traffic is always present, and there's always some sort of disruption out there. So it's it's hard to say that here's the one number. Yeah, you know that works for everyone and keeps us all safe because, it, it, as the article points out, there's times where this actually inhibits safety by making these drivers speed up so they can get to a place to park. That's a big one there because you know? now you're having this adverse effect that's uh, unintended consequence, and that seems to happen whenever you put in a large sweeping rule or any kind of law or economic policy. There's these unintended consequences, and I think this is one of those very ones where. Just like, you know, I try to beat the clock. Now I yeah. take some unsafe measures in order to do that. Yeah. And and really what it boils down to, it is a capacity constraint mm -hmm. uh, to the overall market. Uh, and it definitely limits the availability of trucks to move when they may need to. Uh, anyway, definitely going to be following that one. Now, part of the today's show is, of course, all about hurricanes and of primarily Hurricane Ian uh, that is approaching or now probably have already hit uh, the, and is inland, well inland, uh, you know, in Florida right now. So it's massive hurricane. Um, and I've got a few stats that I'm going to pull up here in a minute. But uh, Craig Fuller wrote an article uh, basically giving everybody some advice. Now, I highly recommend you small carriers, small fleets, owner operators, anybody that has not had an involvement with disaster relief or FEMA in the past, read this article. Um, you know, fun fun fact, my first uh, job in transportation trucking was at XD <laughs> uh, during what was one of the most active tropical environments uh, of our of modern times, uh, handling all these FEMA loads. Uh, so we would, we would essentially, it was essentially like trial by fire. Yeah. And it's not the normal environment that you operate in. There's all sorts of nuance here. Uh, a few of the things that he points out is basically don't expect to get your trailers back anytime soon. Don't expect to get paid in a timely manner. You may see some high dollar signs, but that won't manifest until later. Mm -hmm. So small fleets, small carriers that don't have available cash flow, you definitely need to keep that in mind because you may be detained. You may be taking this one load but you may get stuck in some sort of staging environment. They do not have docks. These are airports and airfields, large uh, temporary staging environments for all these goods. And, and uh, you don't have a lot of leeway with what you can do there. You can't just roll in, expect an hour and a half to deliver and then roll out. Yeah, Lots of wait times too, because think, the infrastructure down there is also compromised. That's very true. And mm -hmm. there's just so many small things that, you know, aren't quite considered from time to time mm -hmm. when these kind of events occur. I know one time uh, chatting with Donnie Gilbert, mm -hmm. he was talking about fuel and fuel that comes from the government. And a lot of people think that, like it's, it's just complete junk and it messes up mm -hmm. their, their engines. But really, it's really good and <laughs> it cleans out a lot of the gunk that was in there. And now they're running into some issues at times if you're not prepared for that. Yeah, no, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on down there in disaster uh, relief areas. Um, you you end up also getting stuck. Yeah. You know, you might be running one load, but you could sit down there and run a few back and forth loads. Uh, so 
some of that is good. Some of that may disrupt your existing customer flow. So you have to take a lot of things into account before you decide to take these loads. I know a lot of brokers out there get excited when they see FEMA load, load board postings, a lot of dollar signs there, but they don't, they don't get stuck with having their asset tied up. Right. So they're essentially just down there trying to, you know, make sure everybody has what they need and they can go and do their job while the driver and truck are down there moving back and forth, maybe not as efficiently as they should. So I know a lot of questions, I've gotten a lot of questions, how is this going to impact the overall supply chain environment? How do hurricanes impact the supply chain environment? Well, a lot of it depends on the market itself. Mm -hmm. And we have just come out of an insanely nasty period of time for supply chains being in chaos. I don't think this one is going to create a 2005, maybe 2017 era type event for a few reasons. And one of the main reasons, if we pull up the contract B spot chart here, uh, is this right here. So normally what happens is the you know, natural disasters grab capacity. And drivers go down, make the, some of them for profit, some of them not. Uh, and it takes them off existing load demand. The environment we're in has created a nice little cushion on the spot market side. You can see the spot right there, uh, the NTI 12. So it does have a little bit of fuel baked in, around $1.20 per gallon. And that tells me there's a lot of room. There are these owner-operators, these small fleets, anybody that's been operating on the spot market now has more capacity than they did. Mm -hmm. They have more ability to go cover this rate than they did. So there's buffer here. The second aspect of this chart, the contract rates sitting up there in the white line, they're starting to come down, but they're elevated. <laughs> so that means that these rates are probably going to be more in line with the FEMA load rate than they would be in the past. So anybody that has a lot of contract rate involvement is going to think a little bit harder about jumping to the spot market covering a FEMA load. Two ways that we've got a little bit more cushion in this market. So I don't think, you know, Hurricane Harvey, Katrina, those type of storms, that environment is not applicable because this is a softer environment, but it's not the same level of soft. It is a softer environment with inflated rates on the contract side. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I think it's also timely also that um, Craig Fuller put out this article giving out some advice to a lot of folks. Zach, when you think about the last two years, we saw, of course, the freight market just completely heat up. We saw mm -hmm. so many people see this as, oh, wow, this is a lucrative market. Look at these freights. My cousin's a driver. Let me get in this space. My mm -hmm. brother, you know, whoever it might be. And we saw so many entrants into the market. Do you see this being a potential issue or a learning curve for a lot of those new entrants in the market that are now still here like all right this is my first you know <laughs> cycle of you know hurricanes and kind of critical events and, and natural disasters yeah I, I think they're gonna have a lot to learn uh if you if you are entering the space at this point in time that you're one you're entering it in a down cycle yeah we are transitioning to a lower period of activity but natural disasters they create a little bit of chaos so you're going to get a little bit of both, uh, and you're going to learn by trial by fire here, yeah. uh, especially if you decide to take on the FEMA behemoth. Um, there's going to be two, there's typically two sections of relief efforts here. Uh, the primary, the initial one is the one that has the most sense of urgency. That's your relief supplies, 
your bottled waters, your Pop-Tarts, uh, you know, your perishable goods, things that they're trying to get down there just to make sure everything stays running, keeping people safe, uh, hydrated, yeah. which is a big thing because water gets contaminated during these uh, type of storms. And that's the stuff that pays the most. Then there's the second phase, and that's the long-run infrastructure rebuild. And with this storm, we think there's going to be a lot of it. Um, Harvey, for instance, significant infrastructural damage. The uh, initial phase wasn't necessarily as strong, uh, so the sense of urgency wasn't as strong as the ones back in the, you know, the 2000 era where we were really learning how to handle these situations. And now we kind of know. I mean, FEMA's been prepping for these things for months now. Yeah. It's not just a, well, let's go grab some stuff now that the storms arrive. They, they've got warehouses full of emergency supplies nowadays, but it's not necessarily the same environment. Every trucking company has the weather channel on, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're watching uh, these storms because they have such a significant impact, but they don't all mean the same thing. The long-term effort with Harvey was more substantial than the initial wave of Harvey hitting in 2017. So they're not all the same. So I have a little bit of a graphic here um, to pull up. This is going to be the cost of hurricane graphic. This is for, courtesy of NOAA. These storms, there's, this is such a wide range of anybody that's been in trucking over the last probably 20 years has their own opinion about each of these storms, <laughs> uh, especially the ones in the top 10. Uh, well, Andrew, of course, is you know more than 20 years ago, but Katrina, most significant storm, hit New Orleans, infrastructure, very vulnerable, never been hit like that before, massive flooding. I mean, it was a, a, a I mean, look at it, category three. Yeah. So the categories don't necessarily always line up with the damage. Look at Sandy, just a few notches down with a cat one. It hit New Jersey and the majority of the damage flooding from the rain. Harvey also, number two on the list, largely flooding. It wasn't that Harvey hit with a cat three force or cat four force winds. It actually softened before it hit land. It just hung out over Houston for a long period of time. So my question to you, looking at this chart and this list of, you know, probably, I mean, you know, these hurricanes, mm -hmm. economically speaking, when you see these billions of dollars, what does that mean economically? So there's a few things here that start to hit when you see mm -hmm. kind of natural disasters hit, hurricanes, tornadoes, things like that, earthquakes. There's that near term, like you mentioned earlier. And there's also that other aspect, that long-term aspect. And you're looking at infrastructure that gets damaged. And sometimes when you see the infrastructure get damaged, if it's out of date, you know, it's just, you know, it's not up to par as where it should be, it gets wiped out. You actually see a long-term impact of like, all right, now there's newer, sleeker infrastructure being put in place and that there's this economic theory that it's going to be a better in the long run because there's new infrastructure being built out that would have gone neglected, you know, had it not been for this uh, natural disaster that happened. So the big thing, though, is that you mentioned it takes a long time because it's not like, all right, hurricane went through, let's get, uh, you know, this a new highway put in, let's mm -hmm. get these roads redone. It's none of that. It's that, that bare minimum, that basics of, all right, all right Let's get the electricity back on place. Yep. Let's get these homes back up in somewhat of a manageable order so people can actually have a livable situation. So there's all these foundational things that need to happen first before we start to see some of those infrastructural changes that shifts that will be a beneficial change into that area a little bit in the long run. But there's just such a long drawn out process of that cleanup and that really getting those bare necessities back in place. Yeah, and and again, that that's... 
valid. I mean, in the way that freight moves, mm-hmm. you know, you have those bare minimum essentials that happen in that first wave of the recovery effort and really the prep. Uh, and then you have the long-term infrastructural impact and you actually kind of, they hurt economic uh, development growth in the near term, mm-hmm. but they actually have kind of a long tail yeah. in terms of that a little bit of a boost, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be a big thing. And it's going to be that, that long-term aspect mm-hmm. of like, all right, now, I know there's still some infrastructure that's still damaged from Katrina. That's just like, yeah. oh, you know what, we're just not going to Oh, everybody forgot about Ida last year, but yeah. it, it was a Cat 4 that ran over New Orleans and they still haven't recovered. Yeah. Lake Charles, still not recovered from uh, the storms of a few years ago. Uh, Michael still has an impact on Mexico Beach yeah. uh, down there in Florida. You could still see blue tarps all over the place. These rebuilds take forever. <laughs> They take um, a long time. And, and the thing is that really kind of boosts up whether it's going to be fast or not is mm-hmm. how big is the metropolitan area yep. and how crucial is it of a, of a hub yep. to get goods in and out or through that area. A beautiful point. Harvey, number two on the list, hit Houston. <laughs> Very different from hitting Tampa. Uh, you know, pulling up that list again. Katrina hit New Orleans. Not a huge centralized point. Like a pretty decent amount of consumption at New Orleans. Uh, infrastructure there also a little fragile. Harvey hit Houston. Infrastructure there was strong, huge population center, huge freight hub. Mm -hmm. So it was a throughput of a lot of different things. Um, Michael didn't hit a large population center, didn't hit a huge freight hub. Uh, Arguably the strongest hurricane by wind speed on the list. Um, And then of course, Ian is not far away, yeah. uh, at least at this point in time. And it's not necessarily hitting a huge population center, but it's not hitting the middle of the woods, right. uh, as some of these storms tend to do. And it's also got a long train to it. It's going to rain over a large swath of area over a long time. And the single most damaging thing with hurricanes, water. Mm. So I, I think this one's going to be a pretty decent hit on both ends, because a lot of people didn't evacuate. Right. Um, and that is, I mean, Michael Vincent and I were talking about it before the show. Uh, if you've been in one of these before, if you've heard those winds over hours and hours, you don't want to deal with that. You don't know what's going to happen. Just because somebody has a gun pointed at your head and they miss, yeah. and you say, well, I got away with it. Look, I was right. Yeah. Doesn't mean you want to continue to put yourself in the way of a bullet. Uh, so I want to pull up a few other charts here real quick. So Tampa port shutdown. We've got the container atlas here for the uh, the port of Tampa. And you can see it's not a huge port. <laughs> you know, Houston definitely is, is a much more significant port. But Port of Tampa, we're not losing a lot of freight volume here. Uh, if you look at its 25th largest port by market share, uh, had a little bit of a bump in overall container flow. And that I don't know if that was inspired uh, by the oncoming storm, trying to clear some of this mm. freight, get these boats out of the dock. Uh, beforehand or not, but definitely uh, not a huge freight hub by any means, especially on the port side. However, if we go to the next chart and look at the port of Savannah, you can see that it is a much larger port, uh, number four currently uh, behind, you know, the Newark jumping up there into the second spot is actually a big story that we might cover at some point. Um, But yes, Savannah also seeing a pretty strong growth in overall demand. And um, you know, over the last year or so. And we are seeing these volumes kind of start to wane off here in the last couple of weeks. But, you know, I showed you in my market in two, if you looked at the OTVI for Savannah, those tender volumes have been increasing significantly over the last bit. So if 
Ian does have a strong impact there, you could see some pretty decent disruptions around the ports. So that's interesting because we've seen this shift. And mm -hmm. so were we seeing that there was a significant pickup at all really in Tampa as we saw with Newark at all? There was nothing uh, really in Tampa. We see that little short-term boost. Um, okay. Savannah has already had kind of a big increase year over year in volumes. That's why I kind of highlighted it. Uh, you saw the actually the Port of Jacksonville was on that graphic as well. It's, it's a little bit bigger uh, than Tampa, but it's not a huge freight hub by any means. Some automotive coming into that port uh, really significantly. But yeah, I'm watching Savannah and Jacksonville actually as a bigger impact of disruption to freight, but it's only going to be a, supposed to only be a tropical storm, not a major infrastructure damaging storm when it gets to that point. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, we're coming up on the end of the show here, Zach, but it seems like the big thing is, is like, okay, that prep work, not getting out of town, not getting out of the area. Okay. You're, you're hunkering down. It is what it is. Yeah. Now from a logistics standpoint, it's that initial supply of, all right, we need those bottled waters. We mm -hmm. need those uh, perishables, those foods. And then it's that cleanup effort, and then it goes to that long-term rebuilding process. Yeah, and this storm not hitting a huge centroid of freight volume. Yeah. Lakeland, pretty large freight market, but not a huge outbound center going north. Florida's kind of on an island. So hopefully there's not a lot of damage. Hopefully this is all for nothing. And somebody can say, look, nothing happened. You guys were overblown. It was over-exaggerated. The weather channel's just, you know, leaning into the wind. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in for Freightonomics. We'll catch up with you next week.